Welcome to Unquenchable, where we discuss all things biblical theology, listening prayer, and Christian living. Each week, we will share a discussion, an interview, or a story that will feed your spiritual curiosity, helping you to better understand the Bible and receive inner healing so you can grow in intimacy with Christ through prayer. As a teacher, one of the things I love most is when my students ask questions. I find it so invigorating when students express interest in clarifying what was said or going deeper into the lecture. So historically, one of my favorite parts of every class is the Q&A. I especially love being put on the spot and having to think on your feet as you think through all of scripture in order to come up with a biblical answer, especially when I hadn't ever thought through the topic before. And that is what my nightmares are made of. I'd much rather be asked something ahead of time and be able to think about it and then get to sit one-on-one and discuss it with a student. I love it because during those times, it's often when my students are most honing and challenging me as much as I am trying to hone and challenge them. But as God began to change me through prayer, I began to become more attuned to my students. And I began to realize that although I was often answering the questions they were asking, I was often doing so without answering the question behind the question. Getting to this is so key, and it leads to the most effective life change. So what examples would you share of this? So here's a few examples of the question behind the question. A student might ask, what's the unpardonable sin? And what they're really asking is, perhaps, am I forgivable? Or they may ask, do animals go to heaven? And what they may really be asking is, does God care enough about me to let me see my pet again, who helped me through so many hard times? Or they may ask, Will those who commit suicide go directly to hell? And what they might really be asking is, should I have done more to love my brother? Or they might ask, do you believe that someone who doesn't believe in Jesus will go to hell? And what they might really be asking is, can I trust you? As I came to understand what was going on, I came to realize that at times, and really more often than I would like to imagine, This question behind the question was actually causing my students to reinterpret my words, and the enemy was actually using what I did not mean, and sometimes didn't even say, to re-injure them, or reinforce lies they were believing, or justify their sinful life strategies. So, as I was learning how to pray through things, I decided to do a little experiment. Instead of answering questions, whenever possible, I would invite them to listen in prayer and see if they would receive the truth more quickly. This was a big shift for me as well in how I handled discipleship or meeting with people that came to us in crisis. I used to have so much fear that I would just have no tools to help people move out of their problems and move forward, but I felt a lot of relief in leading them to listen to the Lord's advice. In the next few episodes, we're going to discuss what happened as we began practicing listening and inner healing prayer with Don's students. Today, I'm going to share Madison's story. Madison was one of the first students that I prayed with in this way. She had come to me after class with some questions concerning the Holy Spirit and whether or not he was present in her life. And so instead of giving her some good assurance of salvation verses, like I might have in the past, I decided to see what was the question behind the question. So to figure this out, I set up a prayer session with her. When I began our first prayer time, I asked God to silence all external voices and to reveal to us whatever lie was biggest in her life. I told her not to search for it, but to allow her mind to rest and see what comes to the forefront of her mind. She said, the phrase, I'm not good enough, came to mind. So I asked the Lord, Lord, would you show her what was the first time that this lie came to mind? 
And Madison said that she saw herself at her house when she was a child. And I asked her, is there any specific place in the house that comes to mind? And she said, yeah, there's a doorway in that house. And I said, Lord, what's the significance of this doorway? What does this have to do with Madison's feeling that she's not good enough? And she said she remembered a couple of things that had happened that doorway that were significant. First, she remembers her mother putting her in time out by shutting her out of this door and was frightened that she would never get back in. And then on another occasion, her mother was going to a funeral and she was frightened that she would never see her mother again. Then another picture came to her. She was sitting on her mother's lap, rocking in a chair, and I asked her what that meant. She said that she longed for her mother to hold her as she did when she was little. Then I asked her if she pictured anything else. She said, it's so stupid. I picture my little child arms reaching out for Jesus. I want him to hold me. I asked her if he was willing to, and she said she didn't know. So I said, why don't you ask him? And she said, Jesus, are you willing? And she sensed that he was saying that he was, but she saw that she was too ashamed for him to pick her up because her heart was too ugly and too disgusting. She didn't want Jesus to see it. As she grew in her awareness that Jesus wouldn't reject her, she pulled that disgusting slime off of her heart and offered it to Jesus, and Jesus took it and made it disappear. And then he embraced her and he held her. And then that concluded this first session of prayer and reflection. So in this case, her question was concerning the presence of the Holy Spirit, but the question behind the question really was, am I lovable or ugly or disgusting? These representative memories revealed how her insecure or at least ambivalent attachment to her mother made her feel unlovable, even to God. During this prayer session, I was way out of my depth because I had no training listening to inner healing prayer. Keep in mind, especially early on, I'm trying to make sure that I have not introduced any imagery or intentionally guided the prayer session other than simply attempting to let her interact with God on her own. I want you to think about how would you process what just happened? I met with Madison a few weeks later and discovered even deeper origins of her struggle. As I recount this prayer session, picture what it would be like if you were leading this session. What would you think was going on? Is this God helping her to process life, or is this something else? Would you have done anything different? This time, we started like before, minds at rest, hearts at peace. But this time, when I asked her if she saw anything, she said that she saw a purple thing, a purple cloud that kept moving around, and she wasn't really able to see it. I didn't really know what to say. I pictured that maybe she was just seeing light shining through her eyelids or something. But as she focused on it, she said that she also saw a hazy path that passed by the cloud and that she was terrified of this purple thing. So I asked her, where did this purple thing come from? And she said, I guess hell. She said that she was afraid to pass by. And so I asked, was there any way for you to get by it? And she said, well, if Jesus went in between me and the cloud, then I'd be able to pass by. So I asked her, well, are you willing to let Jesus do that? And she was. She pictured Jesus carrying her past the cloud. And I asked her as she passed, could you just look into the cloud maybe and see what's inside it? And she said, yeah, I could just look over Jesus' shoulder. And she saw a floating, flexing male arm with a hand that was opening and closing like it was grabbing. She knew that it symbolized something, but she just didn't know what it was. And she was so frightened by it. We didn't want to spend any more time there. And so Jesus just passed by it and carried her through blue skies and clouds, and she landed in this green, grassy area, covered by rolling hills everywhere, and she could see houses in the distance. She didn't want to go to them, but she sensed Jesus wanted her to. Then Jesus carried her to one house, and it was her house. 
And Jesus wanted her to look around. No one was home. And so he carried her through the house and she reluctantly looked around. And then Jesus took her to the backyard where she wanted to die and it considered suicide. And she realized that there was part of her heart that she hadn't even yet given to Jesus. It was in the back left bottom because it was in this hidden place in her heart. And she didn't know what that represented either. And she pulled this spot from her heart and she handed it to Jesus and it disappeared. And I asked her if it was gone for good, but she said that she felt as though if she searched for it, then she'd be able to get it back. And I asked her if she was willing to give it to Jesus permanently. She said, no, not if I don't know what it is. And so I asked her if she wanted to ask Jesus what it was. She said that Jesus pulled it out again, and then she knew that it represented her plans and dreams. And she said she wasn't ready to give those to Jesus because if she lost them, she would lose her identity. She asked Jesus if his plans were better than her plans, and he said that they were. Sometime after this, she was willing to surrender them to Jesus, and he crushed her plans in his hands, and they turned to dust. By allowing him to do this, she was surrendering her plans in exchange for his better plans, even if she didn't know what they were, and she was willing to do it at this point. And so I thought this was an amazing time, but then I remembered the purple thing. And I asked her about the purple thing. And she said, oh, I had forgotten all about the purple thing. And she was still afraid of it. I asked her if now that she had a pure heart, if she was willing to deal with it now. And she said she could with Jesus' help. Jesus carried her and she was suddenly before the cloud and it was enticing her. It represented eating disorder. The arm represented perfection and the hand represented the addiction of constant grabbing. And she had no clue that her disorder was this out of control. She had thought that because she hadn't been admitted to the hospital for a while, that she had it under control. I asked her then, well, why is it purple? And she said, oh, of course it's purple. And I said, well, why? Why, of course it's purple? Because that's the official warning color for eating disorders. But she didn't want to get rid of it, though, because she felt as though being skinny was something that defined her. She felt as though she'd be unlovable if she was fat. So I asked her to ask Jesus, Lord, is this true? Would she be unlovable if she was fat? Lord, how fat can she get before you stop loving her? She said, no, Jesus will love me no matter what. Then I asked her if she thought that maybe there was more to do in her house, since no one was home last time when she was there. When we returned to the house, her parents were there, and she felt she needed to forgive them. She forgave her mother for some things she had said long ago. First, she had asked her mother at one point if she thought she was chubby, and her mother said, yeah, little, but I love you anyway. And also for her mother saying that when she first got pregnant, she didn't want to have her or her twin sister. So she felt unwanted and unloved and fat. She also forgave her father for not standing up for her as she thought he should have. Once she had truly forgiven her parents, she was surprised to discover that she actually felt hate for her parents. But she was willing to release that to God. And once that hate was released, she said she kind of felt empty. And I asked her, do you think maybe that you miss your hate? And she said, yes. And I said, well, Lord, would you show her, is there something you want to give her in place of that hate? And she said, love. And so we prayed and had a time where she received his love. And I asked her if there was anything left for us to do. And she said, no. And so we ended our time of prayer. In the days that followed, Madison continued to experience a peace that she had never experienced before. And she thought from that single prayer session that she would have complete healing and fully experience the abundant life that Jesus had promised immediately. However, as weeks passed, she re-entered her daily routines, 
and she realized how much of her life was actually consumed with her eating disorder. So while she in many ways felt freed, she still had many adjustments to make in order to transition into her new life. But as she spoke, she always spoke in past tense about her eating disorder. I told her this unconscious communication is a sign that your eating disorder is behind you. but You're still going to need to continue to adjust your habits to match your new life. And I told her that Jen was willing to meet with her and take her through Neil Anderson's Steps to Freedom in Christ. So let's summarize Madison's old story. When she was young, she felt as though her mother had shut her out, and this caused her to feel insecure in that relationship with her. Then at some point, she asked her mother if she thought she was chubby. Her mother's response reinforced her insecurity concerning her body, and then over time, she began to believe that she was only lovable if she was small. And then her father's passivity was also taken as a lack of love and protection over her. This led her to come to hate her parents and actually wish that she was dead. She eventually developed a bad life strategy of securing love through a body image that could only be maintained through an eating disorder. Even though the eating disorder scared her, she felt she needed it to maintain love. And this approach to love made her eating disorder a greater Messiah than Jesus. So just as in the first prayer session, her real burning question had to do with if she was lovable. But during this prayer session, the focus was not on her heart, but on her body. Right. And her new story is that Jesus is now shielding her from this eating disorder and that her size has nothing to do with God's love for her. Her question about the Holy Spirit was really rooted in how her view of herself had led to a bad life strategy of using the eating disorder to control her body image in order to be small enough to be lovable by God and her parents. So her real question was related to what was keeping her from experiencing God's love. And the answer was something that no theologian could have answered without God's help. In the next episode, we'll talk more about listening and inner healing prayer and begin to discuss how to lead others to experience similar breakthroughs as Madison through prayer. We will even hear from Madison now five years later as she shares her own thoughts on her prayer time and a little bit of how that prayer session contributed to where she is today. Did you know that we often lead listening and inner healing prayer retreats and trainings? Who do you know that would benefit from these? Check us out at praythroughit.com slash events to see when we are going to be in your area. And if you don't see what you're looking for, email Dawn at drlove at praythroughit.com to discuss how we can minister to your family and friends. Unquenchable is a ministry of Pray Through It Ministries. To learn more about us and our ministry, check us out at praythroughit.com.